series called Unexpected. Um, when, unex- when expected things come at me, um, I'm ready for them. At work, I, I'm, I'm expecting a lot of things. I prepare for as much as I can. At church, I'm prepared for as much as I can for all the things that, that I know are going to happen. Um, with parenting, you know, the first go-around, I was prepared for all the things that didn't happen and uh, not prepared for anything that did happen. But this time, I'm going to be more prepared for real stuff. And that stuff I do okay with. When unexpected things come, that's when I've got to figure stuff out. That's usually when stress plays a role. That's usually when Jess starts biting her fingernails. Um, yesterday, Molly uh, showed me something, and it was her fingernail that she had bitten off. And so, not the whole thing, just the tip, but it just told me that she's going to be one to bite her fingernails, just like her mom, every time she's nervous. So, if she does something bad, it probably came from her mom. Um, unexpected, the way you deal with unexpected things often defines your relationships. Your, this is scary, your daughter's boyfriend is not what you expected. You know, you've got to come to deal with that. Your son's girlfriend is not what you expected. Your son or daughter is not what you expected. And, and, and man, the way you deal with that unexpected defines your relationship. You're pregnant and you weren't trying. That defines the, much of your relationships. You get a DUI. You thought that going from there to here, no one would be there. It's a really close distance. You're not the kind of person who gets into trouble. But that happened. You were not expecting that. How will you deal with that? Undoubtedly, you have something in your mind right now that was unexpected. Um, you guys are renovating a house. There's lots of unexpected in there. And, uh, and when unexpected things come, man, you get lots of opportunities to deal with that. And that's the kind of thing that's challenging. I would say that the course of, of heck, much of my life, but especially this church, has been unexpected. You know, um, I read a church planting book before we started about a guy that, that started a church with 60 people. Their first day they had 60, and now they have 10,000. It's been like eight years. And, uh, and that was the only one I read. So I probably should have read a couple more. Um, but, but, but much has been unexpected, uh, man, at work. If you had told me four years ago, if you had told me eight years ago, like, like anything before when I started that, that I would be leading a, uh, a, a nonprofit Votech center, I would have said, no, I, I probably won't be doing that. I don't have near the patience to do that kind of thing. And, and it turns out God sort of develops into who develops us into who he wants us to be. Um, I spent a lot of time, I think, in church life. I remember um, reading about David before he became king, and not that I think I'm going to be king one day, but, but David, you know, carrying cheese. You know, there's a story of his dad gives him some cheese, and he says, take this to your brothers. And, and, and he spends a lot of time walking back and forth to where his brothers are. And, um, and, and I think that much character was built in the time when a really able young man had to stop and carry the cheese. <laughs> And I like to think sometimes that the unexpected things, what we're doing in the interim is we're carrying the cheese. You know, we're sort of like getting ready for the thing that God has planned for us. And we, we're, you know, and then when the unexpected thing comes, we're ready because we didn't know it. But all the while when we were doing the mundane things, God was getting us ready. Unexpected things. I would say that for many of us, when, when you, if you're to get baptized, that's unexpected. If you're to embrace 
embrace faith in Jesus despite all your flaws and inevitable screw-ups. To do those things is unexpected maybe for you. Maybe it's unexpected and out of the ordinary for, for your family, and they would be like, I cannot believe that you just, that you're the one that's going to be baptized. Or that you're the one that came to faith in Christ. And maybe all that is unexpected and would catch everybody off guard, including yourself. And I think much of church is asking you to do something that's outside of your norm. You know, asking you to to step up and do something big. In this unexpected series, you're going to see over the course of the next three weeks, that, that Jesus' encounters with people were almost always unexpected. Jesus had this idea of when people came to him and they would ask him a question, he would see right through the question and he would give them the answer to what they really wanted to know and it always caught them off guard. And sometimes it made people angry and it made religious people so angry that they even went so far as to crucify him because they just didn't like being caught off guard. Today we're going to talk about, in John chapter 3, we're going to talk about this guy named Nicodemus. And Jesus encounters Nicodemus and he gives him an answer that he's not expecting. It's absolutely unexpected when he begins to speak to Jesus and the way Jesus responds to him. John chapter 3, we're going to jump in there in a minute. Here's the thing that I think is pretty interesting. Just as we jump in and you look at Nicodemus. Man, Nicodemus, I think, is the quintessential good guy. He's like, he's trying to like build bridges between people that don't get along. He's, he's, he's a nice fella. He approaches people with respect. Um, man, he's got it together. And when it comes to religion, he's a big deal. He's a, a Pharisee. They didn't call Nicodemus a teacher. They called Nicodemus the teacher. And so they don't call me the pastor, you know, maybe here, but not around the world, you know, and not, they, they call me just a, one of many. Nicodemus is the one. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees took doing good to a whole new level. They created 613 rules on top of, you know, that you had like the Ten Commandments. And the Pharisees were like, the Ten Commandments, not near enough. 613 extra rules we're going to create. And man, they created rules like crazy because they wanted to be so far and above what is like nominally good. They wanted to be super good. And, and he was not just a Pharisee. He was like one of the Pharisees. And he's, an, he's a super important teacher. And, and, and here's some of the rules. This is what I thought was pretty interesting. Pharisees had some interesting rules. You want to hear one? If you ate... And you forgot to say the blessing. So you, you, you went out, you had dinner at Rotolo's, you forgot to say the blessing, and, uh, and you remembered later. Well, before the food digested, you had this great opportunity. You could, go, you could go, let's say you're at work the next day, and you just got there, and you had a late dinner, and it's almost, you know, you're approaching that 10-hour mark. Uh, you, can, you can turn your car around, head right back to Rotolo's, get back in the same booth. They're probably not open yet. You've got to break in. You've got to get the waiter to come back. You've got to sort of recreate the situation. But you can get back in your booth, and, and if your food hasn't digested, usually around 10 hours later, you know, you still got, depending on what you ate, uh, if you had the salad, you're out of luck. But you've got a little bit of time. You get back there. If you can say your blessing, then you're good. You avoided everything. And they had loads of rules just like that. And, and they actually had a rule that said if, if you're a young child and you're, you can't, if you eat less than, what was it? If you eat less than an olive, then you don't have to do that. But when you're a kid and you can start eating olives, like food, like that size, then now you've got to start doing that. So that means Molly 
Still, probably not. Um, but, you know, that's problems for kids who don't eat. Anyway, you don't get it if you're a parent your kid eats, kid eats well. Um, but if you start eating olives, then, then, then you don't have to do it anymore. Pharisees had loads of rules just like this. And what they believed is that if you can, like, like if you can stick to all these rules and all these ceremonies, you can probably go to heaven. We got some things like, like this today that we kind of equate with like ultimate, if you do these things, then, then probably you can go to heaven. It's not great theology, but it's sometimes the way that we think. And sometimes it's baptism, and sometimes it's confirmation, and, and sometimes in the little church that I grew up in, as long as you, one Sunday when they're singing at the end, you, you come down forward and you shake the pastor's hand and they baptize you, it doesn't matter what you did the rest of your life, your mama can always look back to that point and say, well, he did that, so he's good. And as long as you do the rituals, that's kind of how the Pharisees were, then you're good, right? You're good for the future. And, and, and this passage right here represents many of us. Nicodemus represents many of us. And he's a good guy trying to do the good things and do well so that he gets heaven and all those kind of good, good things. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus has a conversation with Jesus. And here's pretty interesting. He tells, he, he's beginning to tell Jesus what God is like. How about that? How ridiculous is that? And, he, and he, he goes to Jesus and he's telling him what God is like. And, and he's telling him who's going to go to heaven. He's trying to have this kind of conversation. And Jesus gives him a pretty unexpected answer. John chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. We'll pick up in a minute, but that's pretty unexpected. If you read that and you think Jesus' answer seems to have nothing to do with Nicodemus' question, then you're right. Yesterday, uh, I, I asked Molly to pick up her shoes and put them in her closet, and she responded, Dad, come play with me. <laughs> and, and, and the question, off, the answer oftentimes has absolutely nothing to do with the question, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in my brain, even if it does to her in her brain. And Nicodemus asks a question, and Jesus responds, and he's like, this doesn't make any sense. Nicodemus actually comes to Jesus. You notice it says he comes to him at night because Nicodemus is this leader and, and many of the leaders, they're not big fans of Jesus. But Nicodemus is kind of curious. And even though everyone, all the religious people would say Nicodemus has got it together, he begins to have this feeling like, like maybe Jesus is right. And maybe all these things that I have have considered to be the most important, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe all this time in the life of the church and maybe all this time trying to be a good guy, maybe this isn't getting it. And so at night, he sneaks to see Jesus because he doesn't want people to know that this big religious leader has some real questions for this at this time, this nobody religious guy. But he just feels like he's missing something. And so he wants to go and he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. And he comes to him and he starts like this. He says, Jesus, unlike all the other religious guys, I think you're pretty good. I kind of like you. And he starts to try to build a little bit of rapport with Jesus. And he thinks that's going to go a long ways because he's an important guy. And I think this describes a lot of us. 
especially me before I came to faith in Christ, to convince me that, that despite the fact that from the time I could waddle, you know, I'm, I'm going to church. And, and my whole life I'm there, and I've never done anything that bad. Mind you, I'm like 10 years old, you know? Like, I haven't been that bad. And to tell me that somehow I've missed the boat, you know? Like, like as, as a 10-year-old, I have yet to, to follow Christ, and that's really important. I would say, I don't get that. And so I think Nicodemus is a lot like us saying, I don't feel like I've missed it. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm bad enough to deserve hell, that's for sure. But I do have some questions. And, 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 and you keep saying that, and I feel something tugging at my spirit. I just want to ask some questions. I think that's like a lot of us. Not really bad people. We haven't murdered anybody. At least I don't think any of you have murdered anybody. You know, we all speed within reason. You know, not like crazy outside the lines. You, you tap your brakes before you take a ride on red. You know, you don't just roll through. You're not an animal. You know what I mean? Like all those things that's like, I don't create chaos in society. I'm a pretty good person. You probably got a ticket in mid-city if you do that, but that's a personal problem. But you have this sense that something needs to be dealt with. Maybe like Nicodemus, just a little bit unsatisfied. He comes to ask Jesus this question. And Jesus cuts through his question. He almost doesn't even answer his question because he really can read exactly why Nicodemus is coming right away. And he gives him this unexpected response which confuses Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has this, you know, just comes and says, God, I think you're a pretty good guy. And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, to become, Nicodemus, to become a child of God, to inherit heaven, you must be born again. And you can see that Nicodemus is like, man, I don't get that. I got to go back into my mother's womb and be born again. I'm an adult. That's gross. You know, I don't know how that would work. My, you know, my mom's dead. I don't know what it is. But that's a weird thing to say. But yet he says, you must, to be a child of God, to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Let me tell you something pretty interesting. This is a very recent poll. 70% 70% of Americans, get this, 70% of Americans say, at least of this sample size, they say they would not want a born-again Christian as a neighbor. 70% of Americans do not want a born-again Christian as a neighbor. Many people associate, like, born-again with anything, like, outside of Catholicism. So if you go to, like, some of these areas, like in the Northeast, you know, um, Boston, New York, they're sort of, like, like post-religious. You know, they equate something like that as, as, as a little bit of fanatical. But they say, when the question is posed just like that, they say 70% of Americans would not want a born-again Christian as a neighbor. That means that if you're a born-again believer, you're lowering property value. <laughs> People do not want you to be next to them. Here's what's pretty crazy. 50% of Americans claim to be born-again Christians. <laughs> that means many of us would not want ourselves as a neighbor. And I think it's pretty crazy. What it tells me, those numbers tell me that we are not on the same page as to what that means. What does it mean to be born again? What is Jesus talking about? I think sometimes when you think born again, it sounds like this real weird religious ritual. I put a picture up here um, that I sort of think of. You guys remember this from, oh, brother, where art thou? You know, and he has this religious experience. Sometimes to be born again feels like that. You know, like like you're shed a tear, it's a special moment, and that's what we're talking about. And that's the people that people don't want to live next to. 
Because that's sort of what they're afraid of. Some people think like being born again is when we run up and down the aisle, you know, and we sort of lose it, you know, like that is being born again. And, and so it, it's scary to them, this whole idea. And Jesus says, no, oh, you must be born again. Before Jesus says, you must be born again, he does this thing we call, in Hebrew, it's called like a double amen. And, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's like when you're a kid and your parents say to you, um, and they full name you. You know what I mean? Nathaniel Adelborn. That means you're in trouble. For my dad, it was this. If my dad said son to me, that meant it was a big deal. He could say anything, but if he started with son, that meant pay attention and listen. You know, son, you know, stop fighting at the ball field. And then that meant I'm going to get a spanking or something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, that's what he's saying. He's like getting your attention. He's like, hey. Truly, truly, this is important. you got to hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. And he says must. In, in the Greek, that's an emphatic. That means it's really important. He's saying it loudly. You must be born again. What I think is pretty interesting about that is if Jesus has any validity to you, you think he's a wise man or a teacher, you know, even outside of, of, of being the Christ, but you respect what he has to say, you've got to listen when he says in these unequivocal, clear terms, as plainly as possible, you must be born again. And that means that if you're not born again, you're staking your entire eternity on the fact that Jesus was wrong here. That, that, that somehow in this one instance that he missed the boat and Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. And as we look into what the heck that means, I think you're going to agree with me that millions of people in the church are not born again and thus that means will not inherit heaven. That's, that's a crazy thought. But if we believe Jesus... We've got to believe that part. Here's what Jesus said to him in verse 5. After he said, you must be born again, then he says this. Uh, verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of, of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Here's the first thing that he says about being born again. And what that means, he says something really clear. Let me tell you, when I was in high school, I, uh, my brother, when I was a, a senior, my brother was, um, was playing uh, baseball at, at, a, um, at William Carey in Hattiesburg. He was pretty good. He was starting. He was the shortstop. He was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, everybody, I would go play baseball games at places, and, and people would see my last name, and they would go, oh, I thought you graduated. That's my brother. And, um, you know, because he was a big deal. Um, so I'm playing football. I'm not bad, you know. Go ahead and chuckle. I know it's funny. Um, but, but I wasn't bad. Um, but I certainly wasn't awesome. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I'm getting to start, you know, but that's about it. And so I, I begin to think, like, my brother's a big deal, and he played, you know, college sports, and, you know, and we're, we're kind of in similar DNA. So, you know, like, maybe I could do that too. And, um, and, and so I know I was a linebacker, kind of chuckle again, but, you know, I know I'm not doing that in college. And, uh, and so I start thinking, what can I do? Well, I see the, uh, a friend of mine was a long snapper in Memphis. And I'm like, you know, I could snap. You, you can't get hit. That's like the best position, right? I'm pretty good at tackling. I'm pretty fast. You got to get down the field. And they can't hit you when you snap it. So that's perfect for me. 
And uh, so I start snapping. I get pretty good at it. I do it much of the summer. And then uh, I come to uh, my coach early on, and I'm like, Coach, I want to be a snapper. He's like, no, we got a snapper. He's pretty good. He's younger than you. We're not going to, you know, you're not going to do it. Well, we start the year. He, he muffs a couple snaps. He really blows them. And I'm like, Coach, I've been snapping. And I snap a couple times. And I'm doing really good. I mean, I'm pretty good at it. And, uh, and I say, Coach, let me snap. And he says, and finally, he, Coach and I were pretty close, and he says, absolutely not, you're never going to snap. And I'm like, I, I mean, I'm really good at it. And I say, so I'm going to do this determination thing. You know, what do I got to do? You tell me what I got to do to be able to, to, to get in there and be the long snapper. And he says, okay, grow six inches and gain 80 pounds. <laughs> you know, essentially, here's what it's going to take for you to be the long snapper for us. You have to become a whole new person. And you've got to start all over, and your parents got to have different genes, and you've got to grow a lot more, and everything about you has got to be different, and then maybe I'll consider it. Needless to say, I never became a long snapper. The first thing he says to him in this passage is he says, being born again has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. You know, it's not about you. You can't do it to yourself, right? It's got nothing to do with that. You don't get to heaven by being pretty good. You don't get there by coming to church and sort of gradually getting better. It doesn't happen like that. You need to be a whole new person. You need a whole new start. You need to be born all over again. I couldn't gradually get taller. I may could have put on 80 pounds, but 80 extra pounds on this frame, I don't think is, is getting it done either. I needed to be a whole new person with, with, with better genes or different genes. I needed a lot of things different. No way could I earn my way into that. I think about it like this. I imagine a guy graduating from Tulane. You know, Tulane costs like a million dollars a year, you know. And you graduate from Tulane maybe with like a social work degree. So no law degree. You're not going to be making a ton of money. But they do offer social work, I guess, for all the scholarship kids who aren't going to have to pay them back. And, and so you graduate from Tulane, you got, you know, tons of debt, and, uh, and you go to work as a social worker, and you're determined to pay these loans off, but they're coming in at like 17%, and you know, if you carry the one and whatever you got to do to do the math to figure out all that, um, you realize that with my salary and with what I can effectively set aside, I will never pay this back ever, ever. And when I'm 300, maybe I will have paid back the original principal. And it's as if for that person, Tom Benson says, you know, hey, uh, I see you down there, and I tell you what I'm going to do. You can have my checking account. And everything that's in it, you, you get it, you can have it. And all of a sudden you went from there's no way on my own to ever pay this back to all of a sudden I've got extra. <laughs> I've got lots of extra. I can do whatever I want now. I've got tons of stuff. And that's sort of the idea. As he says, you can't get there on your own. You've got to be born again. Everything has to change. It's not about gradually getting better. It's about Jesus changing you from the inside out. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe, and then he gave it to us as a gift. And he said to be born again is to receive the gift. You don't need to get gradually better. You need to be all new. This is pretty interesting. 
and kind of weird. Uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, he says it a little bit different. Isaiah 64, if you want to look it up later. Isaiah 64, um, every time, if you ever hear this passage preached on again, you'll remember it. But Isaiah 64 says um, about our own righteousness and can we be good enough to stand before God. He says, um, Isaiah says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so what, what that means is in our society, we try not to say things that are too, you know, disgusting or gross, but, but they didn't sort of have those filters. And, and so literally, the literal translation is all of our righteousness is like menstrual rags. Right? It's disgusting. And he said it that way because he wanted to say, it's like you coming before God and saying, oh, I've been pretty good. I've done okay, you know. And then he says, oh, no, no, no. Uh, that righteousness, the goodness that you have, let me tell you what that's like. And he says, man, our goodness is nothing. It's like filthy rags. And us believing that we can just do good enough to get there, he says, no, you're not even close. Jesus is saying, this is what new life is. Let me tell you what being reborn is. It's very, it's very different from a gradual change. Being reborn is this. It's believing that Jesus is who he said he is. That he's not just teacher, that he's savior. Nicodemus called Jesus teacher and Jesus says, no, you've got to believe that I am who I say I am, that I am savior. You've got to believe that Jesus is savior and accept his gift of salvation. And no amount of churchy goodness at all can get you there. And so the question is, the question that he asked Nicodemus, and here's the, can I skip to the end, spoiler alert? You see that Nicodemus later in in chapter 7, you see that Nicodemus became a believer. No doubt as a result of this interaction. And so God, he stands before Jesus and he's all wrong about it. And Jesus presents him with the truth. And later you see him risking his life for the sake of Christianity. The question that he asked Nicodemus, the question that's pertinent for you, is have you been born again? I'm not asking if you've had emotional experience. We used to go to camp when I was a kid. 47 kids got saved every year. Same kids. <laughs> Just emotional experience. Not asking if you had the emotional experience. Not asking if you've gotten involved in religion. You know, that, I mean, that's great stuff, but, but, but you know, we've said it many times. Coming to, to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into Starbucks makes you a pumpkin latte. It just, just doesn't work like that. Not even asking if you believe in God. You know, Scripture says the demons believe in God, and it makes them really afraid. <laughs> because unlike me and you, they understand the power of God. Not even asking if you believe in God. I'm asking, do you believe that Jesus is Savior? Have you accepted his gift of salvation? Would you openly declare that he is the Lord of your life? Is he alive and at work in you? That's what he's saying when he says, have you been born again? Would you bow with me? I want to speak to you for just a minute. Um, if you came here this morning and you, 